campus. If this is your first time tuning in to OHA 365, this is our daily webinar series focused on the future of work, startup entrepreneurship, the fourth industrial revolution. this and get the word out. Um, have folks join you, start a watch party if you're watching on Facebook. Uh, super excited for tonight's presentation. We're going to be hearing from Aaron Saunders, who is the CEO and founder of Inclusive Innovation Incubator. So he's going to be walking us through um, just more about the incubator and his story. So definitely looking forward to that. Before we get started, Lyndon, did you want to introduce yourself? Hey, everybody. My name is Lyndon Breckenridge. I'm the Ecosystem Development Lead for OHUB KC. Uh, so I've had the honor of working with a lot of amazing black and brown founders in Kansas City and across the nation through OHUB's acceleration programming and entrepreneurship support programming. Um, and I'm definitely excited to have this conversation today with Aaron um, to learn more about Inclusive Innovation Incubator. Um, we need so much, I mean, inclusion is so important um, and it's, it's important to be intentional about this and to be able to provide um, our founders with uh, spaces that they're comfortable in um, and that they're able to do their best work. So I just really appreciate Aaron again for uh, agreeing to be on this tonight and I'm ready to get started. Awesome. Thank you so much, Lyndon. Aaron, welcome. Thank you so much for spending your Wednesday night with us. Thank you very much. And uh, thank you for inviting me to, uh, you know, get on your, your show and kind of talk to people about the work we're doing here in D.C. Um, I think that, you know, based on what's happened here with COVID, these kind of regional programs, the world's getting a lot smaller with a lot more, we'll be seeing a lot more online programming, a lot more um, engagement across regions. So, you know, the opportunity to let people in other areas know what we're doing here in DC, you know, I'm really uh, thankful for it. Absolutely, absolutely. Looking forward to just learning more about the incredible work that you're doing. And before we get started with the presentation, um, how, are, how are you doing and how are things in DC right now? Um, I mean, it's it's been a it's been a challenging time here uh, from the lockdown. You know, first it started with the lockdown in the beginning of March, uh, which was really hard for us um, because, as as you know, um, trying to build an an, an ecosystem uh, is extremely challenging. Um, we're we're just now we were just now in like a halfway through our third year and starting to hit our stride you know, starting to increase the utilization of the space, starting to, you know, get a lot of activity going on, a lot of energy, and then COVID hit, right? Um, and we've basically been shut down since the middle of March. Um, we are in the last year of our agreement with our um, partners. And so our goal was, you know, to really this year be the bang year to have a lot of decent outcomes to kind of package up as a report to why they, we should continue to be supported and why we should continue to be here. Um, so it was it was kind of discouraging um, that things happened the way they did, but you know, sometimes things force you, uh, you know, they force you to be more creative. A part of our goal was always to kind of move online and to scale. Um, COVID has just forced us to move more aggressively in that direction. Wow. Wow. I can imagine. Um, I mean, props to you for being able to, you know, pivot and, um, you know, deliver programs still virtually. 
um, because it's definitely still needed. Yeah. Um, And whenever you're ready, we can go ahead and get started with the the presentation. Okay. So let me move this thing to the side over here. And we have the presentation up now. And, um, you know, I just put together some slides, just kind of talking points for me to kind of move through. I'm not really going to read everything. Uh, but uh, and also it, I, I can lead, make the uh, the deck available to anyone once it afterwards. So as as stated, um, I'm Aaron Saunders, CEO, sorry, CEO of Inclusive Innovation Incubator, uh, based here in Washington D.C. Let's see how do I move this thing along now? Oh, I think it. Um, are you able to share it again? I think oh, it- sorry, I lost the share. Let me bring it back. No problem. Share screen, share, all right. There you go. There you go. So um, who am I? Uh, This is me in fifth grade, uh, which was the very first time I started programming computers in in the early 80s. Um, So I've been programming computers for a long time. I feel... um, blessed that I had a father who was into technology and um, kind of supported my interest in programming and computers like way before it was a really big thing. Um, The way that I actually got into computers was, as you can see in that picture, I was a pretty small guy and I uh, did not get, I I got, I'll be frank, I got picked on quite often during uh, lunch. So I just stopped going out during lunchtime and uh, I spent time in the library and this computer, a Commodore PET, uh, sat in a box for almost three weeks in the library because the librarians did not know what it was. They didn't know how to use it. And one day I asked them if I can open it and I opened it up. I read the manuals and that's kind of how I got into programming. And I've just kind of, it's just been my hobby and my passion, you know, all these years and, and still is today. So let's see. If we can... Is this right? I apologize for not being able to move these slides properly. Uh, Okay, I'm going to... There we go. All right. Okay. So my professional experience, I have over 30 years of experience in software development, um, managing uh, ecosystem space, uh, education and things of that nature. Uh, my big kind of when I first dove deep in was in, in the first uh, .com boom. Um, the company I worked for, we built the first NikeStore.com, the first ToysRUs.com, Boo.com, which is a big site in Europe, DisneyStore.com, MarksAndSpencer.com. So, you know, I was able to really um, be kind of at the cutting edge of tech and um, e-commerce when I first took off up in New York. At that point, I was living up in New York. Um, after things went, after things got bad in New York, after uh, 9-11, um, I tr- ended up transitioning, working in, um, into, gov- into government contracting. I did that for a while, worked on some very large projects, uh, eventually transitioned to an independent contractor uh, here in Washington, D.C., and um, had some challenges with with some uh, partners doing that and decided that it was time for me to kind of start my own business. So I um, saved up my salary for the last year and um, 
at the end of that year and the end of the contract I left and I started Clearly Innovative Inc. Um, Clearly Innovative Inc. was started about 10 years ago with myself and one of the gentlemen, Quasi Fry, and was really just my intention was I felt like I had worked for other people for so long. Um, I liked writing software and my goal was to really just build a software development shop and, you know, hire people that looked like me and just kind of, you know, live the good life. Um, but one of the things that I say to people now is that, uh, you know, you never know where things are going to take you. And the best thing to do is to just roll with it and not really fight it. Um, so Clearly Innovative Inc. is my first company. It's a web and mobile development firm. It's 10 years old now. Um, Black-owned company. Um, during the time of running that company, we internally incubated a youth tech program, uh, which is now called Clearly Innovative Education. It used to be called Luma Lab. Um, we, we, right now, we have um, youth STEM and entrepreneurship program that goes from K all the way through 12, basically K through 12. We, we run after school programs, summer camps, uh, weekend workshops, and have generated about five years worth of uh, past performance experience and curriculum um, in that target audience. I taught at Howard University for about um, four semesters. I guess, I guess I taught for about two years at Howard University. I taught web development and mobile development up at Howard. Um, you know, I've also had the opportunity to write a book on mobile application development. I've been a speaker at developer conferences. Um, all that came from, you know, just learning how to code. So it's one of the things I tell people. It's like I, I met with some kids once during like a, uh, a career day and uh, they said to me, oh, writing software is boring. You just sit in a cube all day and hit the computer and pound on the keys. And my response to them was, you know, I've been able to teach, write a book, speak. I've been able to travel. I worked in Europe for nine months on um, marksandspencer.com. I've traveled across the U.S. working, building websites. So, you know, you never know where um, working in tech could take you. And right now, at this time, it, there's so many other opportunities that are available to individuals in the tech community that just didn't exist when I was younger and working in the community. I have this picture here because it was like one of the highlights of my career. Um, Clearly Innovative Inc. won the contract to build the mobile application for the Smithsonian National Museum of African American History and Culture um, before it launched. And so we've been a technology partner with uh, the Smithsonian since their launch. We've built multiple solutions for them. And this is all from, you know, what I always tell people, a small black owned company with mostly black developers in Washington, DC. And so it's it's a testament to um, this 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 narrative that we can do this work if given the opportunity. And it's also kind of, you know, I, I say to people who say, oh, well, there aren't we're all the black technologists. It's like if you just look around, you can find them. Like they found us in their backyard and hired us. It was we went through some BS because larger organizations tried to dispute the contract and come up with all these reasons why, because they just couldn't believe that a small organization would be able to deliver solutions. Um, but it's one of the you know highlights of my career and probably highlights of my life to be able to you know work on the solution and have it prepared for the launch and then to demonstrate that we belong there because here now three or four years later, we're still working with them, still working on various projects. So um, that, that's why I dropped this slide there. Um, as I stated in, in, in um, Clearly Innovative, 
we incubated this uh, education program called Luma Lab, which started out really as just a, a side passion project um, from me getting asked to go talk to some kids. I spoke to some kids at the class. The teacher who ran the class became ill and was gone for the rest of the semester. And they approached me and said, hey, are you interested in putting some sort of STEM and entrepreneurship curriculum together um, you know, for these students? And this was at um, Howard University Middle School for Math and Science. And that's kind of how Luma Lab was born. You know, my company, you know, I was blessed that um, my team was passionate about um, teaching other people about technology and entrepreneurship. Um, they basically volunteered their time to help teach these courses and put together this curriculum for these kids and still continue to do the work that they needed to do for the company. Um, you know, so I always say without a, a team of people around me that shared my passion and vision um, for creating this kind of learning environment, I, I, I would not be here today um, because they allowed um, me to follow my passion with Luma Lab and help it grow and to be what it is today. Um, as, as part of that uh, teaching opportunity, as I said, I got the opportunity to teach at Howard University. And then through that opportunity to teach at Howard University, I was able to identify um, you know, kids who had talent and needed opportunity. I hired a couple of them as interns, I paid them to work and they were able to get hands-on opportunity building solutions for our clients that we had, which I'm certain uh, was an invaluable experience for them instead of just getting some internship that was, wasn't really adding much value to what they do. Um, um, so through the, through the time that uh, we worked at, uh, at Clearly Innovative and we do, did our youth entrepreneurship program and we're teaching STEM, we also ran a, um, for lack of a better word, an in-house apprenticeship. Um, I've built my company with individuals without computer science degrees. Um, for the longest time, I was the only person in my company that had a computer science degree. We had figured out how to identify raw talent and train people and get them billable in between 30 to 45 days. And that's basically how we have built my company and have been able to be as successful as we are. Um, we've helped people you know, fulfill their dream of being software developers. And they've also, those people in turn have kind of helped me fulfill my dream of being able to kind of share um, the, posit the positive capabilities that come from learning about technology and entrepreneurship and um, the creative powers that I can give you in your community once you um, have those skills. Um, so why does all this matter? All this matters because what we did when we stepped back um, you know, through building a company, you know, working with entrepreneurs in our ecosystem, working with kids, working with the college students, um, and just from being in the industry for, for so long, you know, it's clear there's a lack of diversity in tech. Um, working with entrepreneurs who would come to us to help them build their mobile solutions, it was clear there was a lack of investment dollars um, in these communities. A lot of these uh, entrepreneurs, you know, couldn't scrape together, you know, um, 10, 20, $30,000 to kind of get their initial MVP and their, their, their work done. Um, you know, which is a direct result of the next item, which is the huge wealth gap that exists in these communities of color. Um, a lot of creative energy, but unfortunately not enough capital sometimes to kind of fund the creative energy that exists in these communities. And then also just a lack of access and opportunity to the networks um, 
that could kind of help address a couple of these other issues that we mentioned before. Um, so while we were trying to figure out how to solve that, I mean, we were, we were initially just trying to find a larger space and kind of ramp up some of the programming that we were doing to kind of try to build a community on the back of Clearly Innovative. Um, but what had happened was we, on a whim, applied to this program called Mission, uh, J.P. Morgan Missions Main Street. Um, someone sent me the link. I sent it to someone on my team. I said, hey, fill this out. And they filled it out. And lo and behold, we won a $100,000 grant to expand our education entrepreneurship initiatives. Um, that was about five years ago. Um, and it was interesting because that was at a point where the education business had grown so big that it was draining the uh, software team because I still hadn't hired separate people to teach. We were still leveraging the resources that we had um, as developers and testers and project managers to teach the class. And we were actually considering shutting down the education uh, part of the business um, and focusing on you know just being a software development shop. And then we won this $100,000 grant. And like I said earlier, I took that as a sign that this was something that we should still be doing. And so we began to try to figure out, you know, where can we get a larger space to support our education initiatives under the same roof as Clearly Innovative? And we figured out oh, with $100,000, we should be able to find something. Um, what I quickly realized was that I didn't understand the cost of real estate in the D.C. area and that um, $100,000 just simply was not enough money to make the type of investment that I needed um, to get a space large enough to build a community around some of the programming that we had already done. And then what happened was <clears throat> the same time I was looking for a space, uh, the mayor's office and Howard University got together and decided that they wanted to put together um, a request for a proposal for someone to run an 8,000 square foot space and uh, focus specifically on supporting under-resourced and underrepresented entrepreneurs in uh, the DC tech ecosystem. And they strongly encouraged me to apply. I ended up applying and um, we won the contract to uh, run a space intentionally focused on uh, diverse entrepreneurs. Um, we spun up a separate company. That company is called In3DC LLC, uh, which is an inclusive innovation incubator which is on Georgia Avenue, literally footsteps away from Howard University. As I stated earlier, it's a public-private partnership between Washington, D.C.'s mayor's office and Howard University to provide program services and support um, for uh, diverse, underrepresented um, technologists, entrepreneurs, and creatives in the D.C. tech ecosystem. Um, our focus really is on being an innovation space to build to build and support a community of high potential technologists, entrepreneurs, creatives from underrepresented communities. And, and, you know, it took a while for me to bang that into my team's head because, you know, initially people were like, oh, you guys are just a black WeWork. And, um, well, I said, well, no, because our difference is that our energy was on building the community and programs and services and we looked at having desks to rent as just another service that we was off we were offering. That was not the driving force for what we were trying to accomplish. Um, and we were glad we took that um, approach because, you know, pr prior to COVID, 
there were 12 WeWorks in Washington, D.C. Um, and many other co-working spaces had kind of moved in. And so the race to the bottom for the price of a desk or a price of office was aggressive. Uh, we would have never been able to keep up with that anyway, just from the business model. And so our value add was our focus on community and our focus on programming. And we and and we still believe that that's, that was the right play. Um, we like to say we focus on the three C's, which is financial capital, technical capital, and social capital to support the entrepreneurs. And our goal is create this kind this dense community of diverse entrepreneurs with the goal of um, we believe that bringing the community together and creating those connections and creating that density of the community will allow people to make the right connections and build the appropriate relationships that they need to help fulfill what their whatever their you know their dream is, their job, um, their small business, you know, their tech idea, whatever it is. We be believe that the community is essential for the success of that. Um, this idea that, um, you know, you can kind of pick winners in an ecosystem. I just simply don't believe that. I believe even if you are good at picking an individual winner without the support of the ecosystem and the support of the community, I believe that they'll struggle to be successful. Um, the physical space, it's over 8,000 square feet of space. Um, we have kind of short of the WeWorks, we have kind of one of the largest co-working spaces that have an intentional focus on a group. Um, we have uh, um, one, two, three, we have four classrooms in this space. We, we So we worked with the mayor's office and Howard and the architect to design the space. It was critical for us to have classroom space because as I stated earlier, a big part of what we do is education. Um, and so we had classroom space built in, uh, we have open desks, we have office space and we have a huge event space. We can host events with close to 150 to 200 people inside of our building. Um, it was critical because prior to inclusive innovation incubator, the reality was there was no real place for people of color to gather. Um, that was kind of for lack of a better word, they felt like it was it was welcoming to them. Um, a lot of events in the past had been held at bars and restaurants, and you know, trying to get a sign off from some of the other co-working spaces to allow these, you know, honestly black groups to come in and do events was always a challenge. So, you know, one of the things when we had won our grant, one of my objectives was to like, hey, can we build a place for lack of a better word that we can kind of say is our own? Um my, you know, I'll be frank, my intention is never to say, hey, this is a place just for black people. Um, my intention is to say, this is a place where we're intentionally focused on making sure that black people feel comfortable here, feel welcomed here, um, as opposed to what they found at other places in the city. Um, in a two and a half, three years since we've been open, we built a mailing list of about 8,000 people. We've supported through our programs, which are which we define as our courses about, um, uh, 1,500 folks have gone through our programs. Um, and so we, we believe that, you know, based on the minimal amount of funding that we, that we receive, um, and, and a note that I will make is that um, we have zero corporate sponsors. So we've been in existence for three years in DC um, and we have no corporate sponsors, like no corporation organization or foundation, you know, despite their uh, commitments to diversity, inclusion, tech, has um, stepped up to the plate to support the work that we do. Um, without the commitment of the mayor's office and Howard University, you know, we would not be here. 
right? Um, I, I think that myself, uh, the mayor's office and Howard had thought that the the larger ecosystem and the businesses in the DC area would kind of step up and support an initiative like this, but unfortunately they have not. And it, I mean, to this day, I still find it baffling. So what we found, and I'm certain other ecosystems have found that like in the beginning, when you're trying to kind of figure out like, what is it that I need to do to achieve success in this ecosystem? Like, what does this ecosystem need? You try a bunch of things, you gather a bunch of data, and then eventually you kind of see like, what's the right things that work. And so that's what, that's the process that we went through our first year and a half. And then we kind of have broken things into um, separate, uh, separate uh, brands to make it easier for us to identify potential sponsors and target people that can benefit from our work. So uh, the brands that we have are uh, Growing Glow, which are a women's focused program. Um, it's all about women entrepreneurship, women empowerment, women health. So anything that's women related is focused on our Growing Glow program. We have talks, we have panels, we have um, specific classes that are just for women to attend. Um, to create an environment that they feel safe and open in. Uh, in Three Talks is a uh, blog series that I started a year and a half ago um, with advice of my business partner. Um, you know, as I mentioned earlier, I'm a technologist and um, I'm also an introvert. And um, what had happened was my business partner and I, we would just sit and talk for hours on end about specific you know, issues in the community, my thoughts on technology. And she was like, you know, people need to know what you're about, what you've done and what your thoughts are on these things. Um, you should do a podcast. And I, I, you know, I kicked and I, I bitched and I moaned and I said, no, 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 no. And eventually I ended up doing it. And so that's what in three talks are. They are, it's completely unedited, unscripted, uh, no presentation. You know, she just sets up the camera sets up the mic and just starts asking me questions. And we try to do like 15, 20 minute talks. We try to drop one about uh, every other week. And so that's what Intree Talks is. Uh, the Futures Written in Code is our tech education initiative. And so what that is, is we offer free technology training courses um, through IN3 under the Futures Written in Code brand. Um, we, uh, they're mostly JavaScript-related um, technology classes, so Vue.js, React.js, AngularJS. And we're running a game development course right now. We've taught a Python course. Um, we're going to push heavier into game development, which I'll talk about later. And we're also going to push heavier into the Python and the data uh, data anal analytic um, courses um, because we've seen that there's been an interest in them. Um, the Inclusive Innovation Incubator Tech-Enabled Business Bootcamp uh, what we what we tried to do there was figure out um, how do we um, how do we find our space um, in this whole ecosystem where everybody's running a business bootcamp? Like, what's our value add that would make what we do different than other people? Um, other than we like to think we have a certain cultural awareness about our program because um, most of the people that are the um, the mentors, the instructors, the lecturers are usually people of color. Um, so the our target audience is usually people of color also. So they feel a little bit more of a connection between um, the presenters and the entrepreneurs they work with when they see people that look like them. 
Other than that, our key value add, and also based on the feedback we get from the people who have participated, is that um, we call it the Tech Enabled Business Bootcamp. Because I also run a software development firm, and because we've recognized that there's a lack of technical capital in the ecosystem. Um, so for example, in our first cohort, we had 18 businesses and only one of them. So first of all, they were all tech enabled businesses, but only one of them had a technical co-founder only. And that was the only team that actually had someone who knew how to build software. And so what we do with Inclusive Innovation Incubator, we, um, we go through all the same kind of topics that are covered in other business boot camps, but we bring in technical resources from Clearly Innovative who play the role as your technical co-founder as you go through the process. So the goal is that when you get to the end, and not only do you have your lean canvas, your information on marketing, understanding about your financials and your budget, but you have a better understanding of how to build your technical solution or how to leverage technology in your business solution that you wouldn't have had before because you didn't have a technical resource working with you as you go through the process. Um, we've had great success with that. A lot of people have, um, have basically thanked us for that. It's one of the reasons that we get a lot of folks who sign up for the course because it gives them the opportunity to have access to a technical resource to help them with their vision. Um, these are a bunch of the courses that we have offered for free um, through our Features Written in Code program. Um, right now, so we taught a, uh, a uh, mobile development course with React, and right now what I'm doing is I have a, um, a YouTube channel. And on the YouTube channel, we are just running a series on um, building mobile applications with React.js. Uh, I drop about two pieces of content a week. Uh, I dropped uh, two videos and I dropped two blog posts to go along with it. And if you follow along, when you get to the end, you'll know how to build a mobile app using uh, React.js. This course is free. Right now we're running a game development course, um, a free course um, to teach people how to do game development. Uh, Swift UI, Swift is uh, what apps are built for iOS. You know, we found that, um, you know, finding access to free iOS development was a challenge in the community. So we offered that. And then Vue.js is another free class that, we, that we've offered. The, you know, the, the, our kind of response to COVID has been an understanding that we need to figure out how to move more of our programming and our content online um, and extend the reach of the brand beyond the local DC uh, ecosystem. So one of the things that I've done, as, as I previously mentioned, is I've kind of beefed up um, our online content specifically around the Futures Written in Code YouTube channel. Um, so right now I'm pushing all of my technical videos under this one brand, the Futures Written in Code. It is, um, they're basically free tutorials on building websites and mobile applications. Um, that uh, I hope people respond to and find valuable. Um, one of the reasons why I did this was, A, I was generating the content from the courses that I was teaching anyway. And B, um, when I was Googling around on YouTube and I would find these technical training videos, there were never any black people you know, doing the videos. <laughs> and I'm like, this is ridiculous. You know, um, We need to see more people of color you know, on YouTube, you know, teaching people how to code because there's tons and tons of videos on here and then you just, you just very rarely see a person of color out there. So I said, let me, let me push forward with my features written in code. 
um, potentially use it for lead gen for some of the other work we're doing, help us build out our mailing list. And also, you know, I'm working on strategies on how to monetize the video content after I push it out. Um, and then the last thing that we have is um, an initiative that we started at the middle of last year, which is called uh, In3 Gaming, hashtag it's not just a game. Um, gaming is a billion dollar industry. Uh, there are millions of hours being spent watching gaming on YouTube, Twitch, and Mixer. And if you start to do the research and you start to look around, black people, people of color are just drastically underrepresented in this industry. We are heavy on the consumer side, very low on the creator side. And the id3 gaming initiative, it's not just a game, it's about a raising awareness of the business opt business opportunities, entrepreneur opportunities, career opportunities that exist in the gaming industry. Um, and, you know, first educating, building a community, drawing attention to our community, and then empowering our community to do things is what the focus is of uh, uh, N3 Gaming. Like I said, we've only really been pushing it aggressively for a year. We've had some um, relatively large, we did, a, we did a pretty large event of about, you know, in one day we had about 350 com 50 people come through the door. It was a combination of free play, um, tournaments, uh, panels on streaming, panels on podcasting. Um, we had a professional esports player come in. And so it was just really just to let people know, like, there's more to this industry than the hours you spend sitting in front of your Xbox or your PS4. And that there's ways that you could take your passion for gaming and for esports and and for lack of a better word, just monetize it. So that's what in three gaming, it's not just a game, is about. Um, I touched on this, the panels, talks, the workshops, game development course. And then here's kind of the, you know, the what's next for uh, IN3. So um, through Clearly Innovative, we are working on a social gaming platform. Um, as part of um, N3 Gaming. We had already started building an online uh, membership learning uh, platform with a freemium model called N3 Nation, which we'd initially seed with our um, current members and our current educational content, our, our current education content. Um, but our, our goal was to identify uh, partners from the community who had um, other content that they wanted to put online everything would be basically a freemium model where there'd be some content that was free and there would be other content that you would pay a little bit extra for. And then we would tie in benefits to our physical location also. Um, I mentioned before extending your futures written code brand um, to convert some of the stuff to paid courses, uh, take some of the content and uh, generate eBooks. So for example, I taught a, a Vue.js class in the no, I guess in the winter when we first got locked down and you know, through teaching that course, I generated probably eight to 10 hours of, of video content. And right now, just taking the, t the written content and putting it into an ebook, I have about a 150 page long ebook that hasn't been edited or anything yet. So like those are opportunities to take content that I had to get generated, that I had to generate anyway, and figure out ways to monetize and reuse it and uh, generate value through um, different channels. And then the other one really is to create a, a, a pure technical conference um, that's kind of run by, led by um, 
diverse engineers, basically black and brown engineers. Um, not an entrepreneurship um, conference, not a, you know, a pure tech conference for anyone who's been to a tech conference where people are up talking about coding stuff, talking about building stuff. And, you know, those are other ideas that we have to do when the future is written in code brand. Um, we had planned for one this year, but uh, that has changed. We might figure out how to switch it to an online event, um, but uh, that's what we got. And then I think, yeah, that's it. I just have my links for how to get in touch with me, but I think I saw on the, on the agenda that we're going to kind of go over this at the end. I think I'll pause there because that was a lot of talking. Wow. Thank you so much, Aaron, for um, walking us through your work. Um, definitely learned a lot. And um, yeah, definitely appreciate the time that you took to um, just break everything down and um, give us an overview of the work that you're doing in DC. Um, Lyndon, what did you think? Yeah, thank you uh, for just sharing that insight. And um, you are doing some very important work um, in you. this area and, and really across the nation. Um, and just really appreciate you sharing the scope of the work that you're doing. Um, and, you know, I was just really honestly just uh, in awe because it was like you've got one huge program going on. And at the same time, you have another huge program that you're working on. So I'm just really excited about the innovation and the technology that you're working on. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. So much to um, kind of like unpack, and um, I have a lot of questions. So the first one I wanted to start with um, is when you were able to get that contract to build the mobile app for the Museum of African American History and Culture. Um, what tips do you have for um, you know black companies who are looking to get those sort of contracts? Like, is there anything that you did? in particular to like stand out? Did you like have already like existing relationships? The it's it's uh, interestingly enough, it's the same old game. It's it's relationships, relationship, relationships. I mean, um, we started working that contract a year and a half before we ended up winning it. So what happened was someone that worked for us knew someone who worked at the museum and the person who worked at the museum said, hey, you know, we're going to be building a mobile app soon. It'd be really great if we could find, you know, a black company to do it. Right. And the person that I knew said, hey, well, I know a guy. And the woman's like, well, we don't have an RFP out. We don't know what we're doing yet anyway. But, you know, it'd be cool to meet him. And so we met with her and uh, we spoke to her about our company. We spoke to her about kind of our mission and what we we're trying to do. Um, and we spoke to her kind of passionately about how we would feel, you know, and how important it, we felt it would be for a black-owned company to do this. Um, and then also we kind of gave her an idea like, hey, if we had won this, here's what we would do. And, you know, she was impressed with what we what we did, but she's like, hey, what we said, but she's like, hey, you know, I don't know what's going to happen. Um, like eight months later, you know, we get an email saying there's an RFP on the street. They're looking for a technical company to build the solution. You know, you need to submit a proposal. So at that, at that point, we were able to submit a proposal. But then the next hard part was um, lining up all the partners to help us be successful. So the first release of the app supported multiple languages. So we needed to go find a firm that knew French, that knew Spanish, 
English, and there was one other language, right? And then we had to find another firm who knew, because that was when Snapchat first came out and you were able to kind of put those hats on your head and do crazy stuff like that. So we had to find a firm who was experienced in that. And then we had to find another firm that was experienced in geolocation stuff. And then negotiate those relations and then put together a presentation and a response that could counter the concerns of, well, you're just a small business. How are you going to do all these other things? And so I think, you know, the, the one take, there's two things, A, relationships, relationship, relationships, right? And then B, um, and, and it's a, a challenge that I see a lot, unfortunately, in our community is it's like half of something is better than all of nothing, right? <laughs> you know, so, you know, we could have said, hey, we're not going to bring any partners in. We're going to try and get all this work ourselves and then we'll just forget how to hire the people to do it. Right. And we probably would have failed. But our ability to say, hey, we want this so much that we, you know, we'll make sure that we're fed and we got enough. Um, but we want to be fair to the partners who have the expertise that we need to help us all be successful and bring them on board to get the win. And that's what we ended up doing. Wow. Wow. That's so awesome um, that you were able to, you know, um, admit that, hey, we may not have every single capability, but we can, you know, find people um, and partner with, with other companies um, to bring this to life. So um, thank you for answering that. That was great. Um, and we do have a couple like questions and comments. Um, so Latanya asks, um, she said, please say more about the Grow and Glow program. How can women owned companies get involved? Well, so uh, you just sign up. Um, we in the past, when we when we were open and had a physical location, we would do two grow and glow events a month, um, which we were there were interesting things we were trying to accomplish. So what we were trying to do was hey to create a space that these women that women can come to to feel comfortable to kind of network and build their relationships. That's one. Two, because of our proximity to Howard, what we were trying to do was build relationships with the young women at Howard and get them to come to these events so they could start to network and build potential um, mentorship relations, uh, kind of just start to kind of connect the generations in, in a safe space. Um, so that's what we were doing with Growing Glow. Um, so we would have this thing called Cocktails and Connections, which was just a mixer, just women come, get to know each other, trade business cards. And then we would also uh, do panels and talks, um, all women panels. <laughs> You know, um, being culturally aware of, you know, making sure we had women of color up there talking about it from different industries. Like the the last panel we did, we had a woman who um, was a lawyer. We had a woman who started her business um, doing um, a dance class, like a dance with heels class and all the other stuff. And we had a woman who worked in the financial services industry. Right. And so our point is they're all entrepreneurs, right? They all have value to add to the community. And this idea of basically saying, oh, if you don't have a tech enabled company that's gonna give me a 10X return, then we're not here to support you, right? That's what we're trying to say is like, we, we wanna figure out how we can support everyone. And the same model that we use when um, going after the opportunity with the uh, Smithsonian, 
of recognizing, hey, even if we don't have the expertise here, we'll try to leverage our relationships to find someone or some other organization that can support whatever it is that you're trying to do. Um, but the, the advice is to sign up for the mailing list and then you'll get notifications about uh, events that we're doing. And what's the what's the website? I know you had it up earlier. It's um, www.in3dc.com. Perfect, perfect. Thank you. And also your... to follow us on social media because we're very active on all of our events on social media. Awesome. Yes, yes. Thank you for sharing that information. Um, definitely great to have that resource out. Um, I wanted to uh, go back to something that you mentioned about N3, um, that you all really work to build that financial capital, technical capital, and social capital. Could you break that down a little bit and just explain a little bit more about why each of us is important? All right. So this is this is the – so when we ran Clearly Innovative, we used to call ourselves the, the, um, the lender of last resort for Black technologists, right? Because we were a small Black-owned tech firm. Uh, there were a lot of um, diverse entrepreneurs who had great ideas and they would try to pitch their ideas and just didn't have a lot of capital. And so they would end up at our doorstep. And, you know, through meeting a lot of these folks, we um, recognized A, it was very hard for them to get capital. But the other thing we recognized was a lot of them weren't, shouldn't be spending money yet, right? They hadn't done the work yet to make sure they were building the right thing. Um, and one of the reasons why they hadn't done the work was, they did a either didn't know how to do the work. Um, maybe they had done it, but didn't have a community to help them validate it. Maybe they hadn't met people to kind of fill in the other pieces that they need to build the appropriate team for them to kind of be successful. And so that's kind of where we got this whole idea of um, the two C's, which are the financial capital and the technical capital, right? Um the, all the pieces fit together, right? So the heavy emphasis on the futures written in code is to address the lack of technical capital in the ecosystem, right? So we train, we enable so that, um, hey, you might be part of the futures written in code and learning a technical skill. It doesn't, you don't necessarily need to be a um, entrepreneur and start your own business, but you can be a technical co-founder for another business, right? So we're creating that energy in our community, right? And so the the, the plan is to support, educate, empower the entrepreneurs, provide them with the technical resources that they need to be successful. And then through the sheer density of the entrepreneurs, draw the eyes of the capital, right? So the idea is that, you know, if I don't have a lot of, if uh, just to break it down, if I don't have a lot of good product to sell you, I'm not going to get the capital to come into the community, right? So we need to demonstrate that we have good product to get the capital to come in. Right. And then it's just like everything else, you know, I mean, you know how cra there's crazy people to buy a lottery ticket. They hear, oh, there was a winner at this store. So now everyone goes to that store to buy a ticket. It's like it's not the way it works, but that's just how people think. Right. <laughs> so if we were able to build, if we're able to start having successful outcomes at IN3, right, folks with the capital will just assume, oh, those guys have figured it out. So when we have an entrepreneurship event or we have a pitch event or when we're looking for mentors, folks are going to come because then everyone knows the name of the game is to get in as early as you can, right? And so if they realize that we're putting out, for lack of a better word, a good product, they're going to come and want to buy. And that will address the last C. Awesome. Awesome. Thank you for, for diving in a little bit more on, um, on those things. And then um, 
Yeah, I was um I was also wanting to know um what are some of the I guess what are the some of the more uh notable or, or some of the more popular um companies that have come out of IN3. So let, let so let me address that. So the here's the I'm going to use a sports analogy. Okay. Right now, right? So where we fit in the stack is we are um the minor leagues right? And so the what I say to folks, and this is the kind of my pitch to people to invest in what we invest in the ecosystem is that for those of you who follow baseball and have looked at baseball often, there are a lot of Dominicans that play baseball, right? I'm not being racist. It just is simply a fact, right? And the reason why there are a lot of successful Dominicans that play baseball is Major League Baseball has invested heavily in the Dominican Republic, in minor league systems, teaching kids how to play baseball when they're young. They're, so they're investing in the raw talent so that they could pick the winners when they're old, right? So our goal with IN3 is to invest in the raw talent, provide them the skills that they want, so that when that opportunity comes for them to take it to the next level, to get to a Y Combinator, or maybe even go to an OHUB Accelerator, or one of these other things, that they're ready and they go, right? Because if you, if you, because like I said, I've been doing this for about 10 years here in DC Tech Ecosystem. You go to these pitch competitions, you go to these events, and sometimes, you know, I love my brothers and sisters, but they're just simply not ready, right? It's no fault of their own, but they're just not ready. And, but, and so the, and what I found that was discouraging was that um, they would, they would just lose. And then where do they go to get the support that they need to try again? Right. <laughs> so that's the place that we play in. Right. Um, so most of the, most of the companies, so the companies that have gone through our first cohort, I'd say, because I touch base with them. Like I said, there are about 13 companies that went through our first cohort. I would say there's four that are active. Um, two of them have pivoted to something completely different, which, I, which I'm not surprised by. Um, but uh, there's, a, there's a woman who uh, is in, in financial services. There's a, I don't, I don't want to call out their names, <laughs> but I, I'll tell you the work that they do. Uh, there's a woman who does financial services solution tra trying to match, um, actually she won, uh, trying to match um, mostly people of color. So young people of color professionals who might not have had um, the support of a financial planner or kind of understand the benefits of financial planner, trying to match them with financial planners. Um, we There were these guys who had a, a solution called battery exchange. Um, the idea was that you can rent the portable chargers for your mobile devices and rent them at one place and drop them off at another place. Um, there was a woman uh, who had a solution uh, that was focused on creating, uh, safe isn't a word, but um, more basically focused on, on um, creating trip planning for single parents, right? So the idea was to kind of create a, a smoother, a better experience for single parents um, for trips. Uh, 
Um, who else was there? There was these. There were these two young cats who um, came in, who were working on a uh, custom shopping solution, um, which they went through the process, and when they got to the end, they realized it wasn't a viable business. But interestingly enough, they both left, and both are starting separate companies on their own, and so that's still a win, right? Um, I I don't try to be. When we first started IN3, people asked, people used to ask me, so how, how great are your companies doing? How great are your companies doing? And the response I give to them is like, there's such a small percentage of companies that even go through the best accelerators like Y Combinator that actually make it, right? And so we need to recognize where we are right now. We want to get to a better place. Um, I would love to say that someone went through IN3 and immediately got a check. We're not quite there yet, but that is where I want to go, right? Wow, absolutely. And we do have another question from Angelica. So she asks, can you share more um, if N3 connects early stage entrepreneurs to student developers? Yes, I do. That's a, that's exactly what we do. So what we... What we um, what, what and and also we get develop we get student developers that come to us and say they're looking for opportunities, right? Um, because this circles back around to the capital issue, right? Um, if you're if if you don't have the budget to go out and hire a developer at a high bill rate, but there is a student who has talent who maybe has gone to one of our programs or who maybe we can kind of play as a as a way to kind of help validate the capabilities of the student, then we can match students with entrepreneur with entrepreneurs and everybody wins. The students get the opportunity to do some real world development, work on a real product. Um, and the entrepreneur gets access to a cheap or, or maybe even potentially free um, technical resource to help them build their minimum viable product. I mean, in, in, you know, we're, we're past the days where you can make a lot of progress with the, just a pitch deck. I mean, you, you literally need to have something built at this point. <laughs> mm. Absolutely. Absolutely. And another question for you, Aaron, um, how would you recommend entrepreneurs in the idea stage complete customer discovery during this pandemic? Uh, kind of like exactly what we're doing now. I mean, unfortunately, it's online. And it's interesting you mentioned that because this is one of the things that we were brainstorming with our team on um, because we're next week, we're about to start our second cohort of N3 Labs, and we were brainstorming on you know specifically this issue and kind of what's kind of suggestions that we would have to people um, to be able to uh, do customer validation and customer discovery online. I, I think I think that same issue is critical to even existing companies, right? Like you have to pivot, right? The 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 um, one of the one of the talks I'm going to do in my, one of my upcoming podcasts is like how how do you survive in a world where people aren't going out anymore, right? Where people aren't going to come in and walk through your store and browse. Right? It's just like we're still in lockdown here in DC. I mean, I read something that said they don't think the metro is going to be at full service until the spring of 2021, right? So if you have a retail space. And you were getting by on foot traffic. You never made an investment in any sort of online presence or social media presence. Like you need to wake the heck up, 
right? <laughs> and so this is beyond just discovering customer. I mean, it, they, it's the exact same issue they have, right? It's like my store is small. There's limits here in DC on, on a percentage based on your square footage, how many people you can have in your space at a time, right? So how do I get online? How do I figure out ways to engage with people online? And how do I figure out ways to kind of deliver goods and services to people online? So like one of the things that when I was brainstorming with an entrepreneur that I worked with, I was suggesting, you know, uh, for lack of a better word, um, online product presentations slash demonstrations um, as a way to um, create more of that. Because there's one thing posting a picture of a product online or browsing a website. There's another being able to have this kind of interaction or conversation with individuals about the product or a good or service. And so it's like figuring out how do you still give that personal touch without the physical presence. And so getting back to this question, I think the for um, for um, this customer discovery during the COVID you know pandemic is you know a I hope you have an online presence, and um, if you don't have an online presence, you need to find a co-founder, partner, someone who does who can assist with you know you getting your customer surveys or whatever it was you you would normally do physically by walking around and meeting people um, and figure out how can you leverage it online, right? Mm. The interesting thing you'll find is that people love to give their opinions, <laughs> right? People love to give their opinions. Um, you just need to don't, as I always say, don't fall in love with the baby, right? You know, and, and another thing is a lot of folks are just afraid to put their ideas out like someone's going to steal it. And I tell a lot of folks, it's probably not an original idea, right? All that matters is who's going to execute the best. And you have to believe that, hey, this other person has the same idea as me, but I know the market better. I'm smarter than them. I have better networks. I'm just going to crush it, and they're just not going to be able to keep up with me. Right? Wow. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, you, you got to be, because here's the point is, like, how can you do customer discovery if you don't want to tell someone what your product is? <laughs> right? Yeah. It doesn't really help any. Yeah, so you get you got it. You got to believe in yourself. You know. Absolutely. Wow. Wow. Yeah. And and my last question for you, Aaron, was, um, how do we make sure that more spaces like IN3 DC exist? Like, what do we need for that? I mean, thank you. Um, we need to start holding more people accountable. So I think, as I mentioned, I don't, I think I might've mentioned to you before we were online or when we were online, like we have no corporate sponsors, right? It's, it's just offensive, right? It is offensive for me to sit and look at my Twitter feed and see all of these organizations, even organizations in my community, you know, talk about their commitment and their concern for the structural racism that exists in this society and all the challenges that people of color have. And they're not writing checks, right? So don't get me wrong. Mentorship support is great. Um, but at the end of the day, if I can't pay to keep my doors open, I got no one for you to mentor, right? <laughs> I mean, 
it, I mean, it's really as simple as that. So, I mean, these, I remember a couple of years ago at South by, I had this relatively heated discussion with uh, you know, this young guy because he was going on and on about his partnership that he has with this company. And I'm like, well, what do they do for you guys? He's like, oh, they, we have pizza once a month. I'm like, we need to, we need to stop in settling, right? That is not, that is not a partnership, you know, paying for someone's pizza for their meetup or their event is not a partnership, right? Mm -mm. It's like making the same level of commitment that you make. To, the frustrating thing to me is when I see some of these companies make financial commitments to other organizations to do the work, like the work that you're doing, they'll pay another organization to come do that work before they pay us to do the work for our own people. Like that is the most frustrating thing for me. And the argument that they use is, well, they have the past performance and experience and they have the infrastructure and they have this and they have that. Well, they have it because you're funding them, right? Exactly. Like, so it's like, how do we ever get to the next level and be able to compete for these other opportunities? Like that's a check. Cause like we also have a nonprofit and that's one of the challenges that we found with our nonprofit is you try to go after a grant and there's this long list of stuff that you have to have in place to even go after the grant. And the question is, well, I can't get any of that stuff in place until I get some money to start to get some outcomes, right? And it's this like whole vicious cycle. And so my ask is for the folks saying that they really are concerned is to do two things, write checks, and then provides infrastructure support for these organizations so we can learn to grow and scale. Right? Mm -hmm. A lot of them, a lot of folks will give you the infrastructure support. They'll come and they'll mentor you. They'll be on your board and they'll do all that other stuff. But it's like, I need, you need money. I mean, that's just the reality. <laughs> so. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Um, yeah, we definitely have to have commitments that are that are strong and um, partnerships that, like you said, go beyond sponsoring food um, for monthly meetups. I see. I see. We have a question. In the I, I just want to say one last thing about it too, and it's a lesson that I learned. What I'm going through is they need to be long term commitments, right? Mm -hmm. Because you can't have someone who's like, "Oh, I'm going to commit to you, and I'm going to give you a hundred thousand this year," right? Because then what happens is by June. You have to stop focusing on the services that you're providing and figure out where am I to get my 100000 for next year, <laughs> right? So you spend half your year chasing money and not adding the value that you need to have. Well, you need someone to come in and say, we like the work that you're doing. Let's set some goals and objectives. And if you continue to meet these goals and objectives, I'll cover you for five years, right? That's the type of commitment that we need. Wow. Absolutely. Wow. Wow. And, and to go um, a little bit further into that, um, Latanya asks, um, what kind of sponsors are you looking for? What is the, and what is the minimum dollar amount you prefer to receive from a sponsor? So, I mean, this is where we are. So for example, um, for our training classes that we run, right? Um, a sponsor who will pay for the textbooks, like that's a sponsorship that, that we'd be happy to have. Most of our classes, we keep them around 10 or 15 people. Um, we try to get a, so like even for this game development course we're on now, luckily 
um, we were able to um, get access to the Unity tutorials because they're giving them away for free for COVID. But otherwise, I think that would be like $20 or $30 a month, right? So we have 15 people and we want to teach a game development class to buy a book. It's probably going to cost us about you know, 30 to 40 bucks for a book. It's going to cost us um, whatever it costs to get access to the online service. It's going to cost us what we pay our instructor. I mean, so the thing that the we're at the point now where, you know, anything helps, right? Because it's about where, as I said earlier, we're blessed that we do get some financial support from the mayor's office. So anything else just allows us to kind of build on top of what they're already giving. So like last year they funded us to support, I think 10 people in, in three labs, but we had won a, a grant from Alabama power. And so we took the money from Alabama power and we brought in eight more people into in three labs. Right. So, so any money helps because we'll figure out how do we stack it on top of funding that we have from a larger organization to extend it. Because the, I mean, as you guys know, it's about building your brand and having consistent programming, right? Because you can't go dark for like three or four months because then, you know, people will just ghost on you, right? <laughs> and then you spend the next three months trying to convince them that you're back again, right? <laughs> so it's, it's, uh, it's hard work, but, but, you know, I will give my contact information. And if someone has ideas on potential sponsors, I can have a deeper uh, discussion because we do have sponsorship, specific sponsorship packages. Um, some of that's pivoted now because like we just don't know what's going to happen to our physical space. So like before you could sponsor a conference room, right? So I forget my COO knows the number. There's a dollar amount and you could sponsor the conference room. Um, you could put your branding and logos all in the conference room. And then what that allowed us to do was lower the prices that we charge to the community to use the conference room, right? And so that's kind of the model that we were looking for. Um, we were in talks with Lyft early on to sponsor like a row of desks in our open area, right? And we were like, look, you know, pay for, you know, six months worth of access to these desks. You can set the criteria. We could put on an application for entrepreneurs looking for space and whatever is the criteria you wanted for, we can pick N number of people and I don't like to give away stuff for free because I think free takes away that commitment. <laughs> it's like, oh, I didn't pay for it. I don't need to come. And so what I would hate to do is have 10 desks that I gave away for free and then aren't utilized. So what we would do is try to bring it down to an accessible price point. But I believe, you know, something that people would pay, but then say these desks or these rows or this conference was sponsored by Lyft. Wow. Yeah, thank you um, for breaking that down. Those are all great ways um, to, you know, for companies to sponsor you um, in a, like you said, like a, a committed, concrete, you know, long-term way um, versus like the one-off um, sponsorship. So thank you for that. You're welcome. Absolutely. And we do have a couple more minutes. Um, if you guys have additional questions for Aaron, um, he is definitely here to answer those um, for sure. And with the the free courses that you um, talked about um, on your YouTube, are those open to just anyone, or yep. do you have to be okay. anyone can take them? So the, the my my monetization strategy is that we will offer the content for free, 
and then um, I will circle back around and build an ebook based off that content. And then um, they we will add a um, uh, pay for the ebook and pay for, um, uh, for lack of a better word, office hours, right? So you buy the ebook, and then with the ebook, you get a number of office hours that you know I will get online with you, or someone on my team will get online with you and kind of help you through a problem that you might be stuck with or something like that. Um, so I mean, because one of the biggest challenges as a developer is like, what what the hell do you do when you're stuck? Right. And that's the flaw. That's the flaw that I find when people are like, oh, anyone can code. Just go on YouTube. There's tons of videos. Watch a video and you can code. Well, what do you do when you're stuck if you don't know anybody? Absolutely. <laughs> right. And that's usually where the new developer drops off. Right. Because they bang their head, they bang their head and they're like, well, I don't know. And I don't know when to ask. And then they're just gone. Right. And that could be like the next great developer. They just needed that extra nudge over that hump to get to the next place. Wow, I mean, yeah, thanks for making that resource free. I'm sure that's um, certainly gonna be really helpful for a lot of folks. And how can people reach you directly? Like I know you provided the website earlier, but- So, um, I mean, I'm active on social media, which is Aaron K. Saunders on everything. So Facebook, Twitter, Instagram is just Aaron K. Saunders. And, um, for IN3, everything is IN3DC, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, LinkedIn. It's all, you know, either Aaron K. Saunders or IN3DC. Very cool. Very cool. Thank you. Um, well, if we don't have any other questions, I have one more question for you. Um, and, and that would be for, you know, just looking into your crystal ball, how long do you think the COVID situation will last? And what do you think will be the, impact that it will have um, on the on the black tech ecosystem, um, on N3, um, and, and what do you think we'll need to do to make sure that we're um, successful in the future through the I mean, uh, reality that we're facing? My business partner told me I'm a doom and gloom guy, right? Um, oh, man. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I mean, the and what I tell her is that, right, so I still write software today, and one of the and one of my strengths in software is the ability to look at a problem, and to quickly analyze all the potential outcomes. Right, because that's what you're writing software that you need to do. If I do this, this is going to happen. And so I look at where we are, and I look at um, just the devastation of our community from a health perspective that's happened because of COVID. Right, horrible the devastation of small businesses. Like I read something, 40%, I think it said in DC, 40% of all small black owned businesses will not recover, period. They're gone, right? Um, the challenge that a lot of small businesses had in that first phase of the PPP loans to get their loans, right? They just ran out of money and died. The other challenge was a large percent of black owned businesses are single owners. You could not get a loan if you were a single owner. Boom, you're dead, right? I mean, so it's it's scary, right? And then the other thing is like, I mean, you guys are ecosystem builders. You do the work. We are at the end of the line for checks, for support, right? We have been. But at least before the economy was good, so there was some money left when we got up with our ticket, right? <laughs> there was an opportunity that there was still some money. But shit's bad now, right? 
So all those other people that were doing well before are now back in front of us in the line. And so I wonder, is the level of commitment, even how low it was before, at least there was some level of commitment, like, is it still going to be there now? And that's what worries me, right? Wow. And so my hope is that, I mean, there's all this talk about understanding this structural racism and the challenges and the problems that we have and people saying that they need to make a commitment, you know, I hope they come through, right? Because, because otherwise, as I said, the same way COVID, you know, destroyed, you know, a lot of our communities in DC, 75% of the deaths were people of color, yeah. right? Um, and I'm certain when they did a postmortem on all this, they're going to see in most communities, it's probably going to be people of color that suffered the most from this disease. I mean, sorry, from this virus. And it, it will be frightening. It will be frightening if we see the same effects happen to our small businesses and our entrepreneurs too. Right. And that's what my biggest concern is. And so that's why I think even more now than before, do we need to be funded and supported? And that's kind of the narrative that I'm pushing to my current partners, the mayor's office and Howard University is like, we are needed now more than we were before because things are way harder than they were before. So, um, and I know someone said that, yes, we need to support our own and invest in our own companies. And I completely agree with you, but there's just simple facts and history on the wealth gap that exists in this country and the financial challenges that as a community that we have. So it's like, you can only get so much from a rock. Right. If there isn't capital in the community, there just isn't capital in the community. Now, don't get me wrong. I believe there are people in the community that can invest. But I but I do think that we need to acknowledge that. The amount of available capital to from people of color to invest in other people of color isn't as high as it is in other communities. So, yes, as the person who said we need to support our own, I, I agree with you 100 percent. But the reality is that without capital coming in from other communities, we are gonna have challenges. Wow, wow. Um, yeah, thank you for that insight. Definitely very sobering, um, uh, but in the midst of it still- But, but uh, I wouldn't keep doing this stuff if I didn't believe, right? That yeah. we can get, right? I mean, that's what it is, you know, like I just pack it up. But I, I believe, you know, you know, maybe I'm naive, right? But. You know, I, I believe, you know, especially I see young folks, y'all, like y'all on here, pushing, grinding, doing the work, you know, that's uh, that's the stuff that makes me kind of believe, you know, I'm, I, it might not happen for me, but at least I'm laying the path for someone to come behind me, right? And yeah. I think we just need more people to step up and do that. And, you know. Absolutely. Absolutely. And um, yeah, through it all, we're, we're definitely still optimistic and and hopeful as well. So thank you for that insight. Thank you. Absolutely. And it looks like we do have one more question um, from Katiana. Um, so she asks, what do you look for in companies interested in applying for the Inclusive Innovation Incubator? We look for people that have an idea and have put some thought into it and are willing to commit to, for this phase, um, because of COVID, our program was shrunk to just 24 hours. So it's 24 hours of programming, it's twice a week. And um, if you if the person hits me on Twitter and DMs me, I can send them the information about it. 
and see if there's still an opportunity to get into the program. There's an application that they need to fill out with a bunch of questions and that, that'll give them more information. So if Katiana, you know, I think you put my Twitter up. If she DMs me, I will uh, send her the information. Awesome. Yep, the information you have up there. <laughs> Wow, thank you so much, Erin. This was um, super insightful and uh, we definitely enjoyed learning more about the really important work that you're doing. Um, yeah, we just, we have to keep this going. And um, like you said, I hope um, everyone that's, you know, speaking out and saying that they're committed to, you know, contributing to ecosystem builders um, like you, um, we hope that they actually mean it and they actually, you know, follow through. Yep. Uh, so for a great conversation tonight. All right. Thank you, everyone. And thanks for all the people that joined. Um, please, A, go to my YouTube channel, like and subscribe. Um, because unfortunately, the way the algorithm works, that's the only way our content is going to get be seen by more people. You have to don't just come by and look at it. You have to like it and you have to subscribe to the channel. Um, and the same way with all these social media platforms, um, we need to start promoting our own content creators so that they can get more exposure and get more recognition. So please, you know, come through and check all this stuff out. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Aaron. And thank, thank you both. Absolutely. Thank you everybody for tuning in um, and staying on and being super engaged and asking you know, such great questions. Um, join us tomorrow. We'll be back at another webinar. Um, and yeah, in the meantime, if you aren't already a member of OHUB, be sure to join um, our ecosystem. You can go to join.ohub.app. That's where you can, um, you know, get access to daily content uh, that's going to help you just level up, um, you know, access, you know, exclusive job opportunities, uh, development opportunities. Um, you know, really um, give you access to, you know, our networks. Um, so be sure to join OHUB if you aren't already a member. And thank you all. Um, Lyndon, did you have anything before we, we wrap up? Uh, no, nothing else. Just thanks again, Aaron, for everything that you shared tonight. Thanks, everybody, for joining in. And we will see you all tomorrow. All right. Thank you. See Bye you. now. Take care.